Welcome to the Propaganda Report. This is Monica Perez with my partner, Brad Binkley. And this is not only an interview, a conversation, but also a swap cast with one of our favorite listeners, um, fellow creators, and actually someone with a new exciting project that I want to lead off with. So please welcome Travis Matier. You may know him from Zoom parties and from, I think you've been on a lot of shows, Sam Tripoli and uh, My Family Thinks yeah. I'm Crazy and a lot of those things. And But you are, I know you as a citizen journalist who is exposing in the microcosm of Missoula, Montana, what really, it's actually interesting because you can't get behind the scenes in DC, but it we're from what I can tell, it's shocking, but it simply must be par for the course. Yeah. And um, thank you so much, guys. I am so excited to be here uh, sharing information about my new project and, and making things like tax increment financing sound sexy, because that's what the documentary is about. And see, Monica, your reaction right there that I just saw um, <laughs> is is actually one of the intended uh, reactions that people have with this um, average Joe repellent is what I call it. <laughs> Because um, really what I wanted to, to kind of lead off with is this larger idea of narrative control and how this documentary that I spent the last year working on with some amazing, amazing, talented individuals, um, one guy being a veteran that sort of uh, helped sculpt this this local uprising against uh, policies that were really impacting negatively the regular people that live in Missoula, Montana, um, what I call Zoom Town. Uh, one of the many communities that's really exploded during the pandemic in terms of people with money coming with uh, the ability to work remotely. So um, the period of time that this documentary focuses on is October 2019 to February 2020. And so in this four month time period, um, there was this this really large scale uprising. It's not large scale, maybe, but um, we filled the, the city council chambers with local citizens that had gotten fed up with how money was being distributed to people that already had a lot of it. Um, and the, the thing that actually got people so riled up is the fact that our mayor, John Angan, so the, the documentary, I should say, is called Angan's Missoula. <clears throat> I clear my throat a little bit. E-N-G-E-N-S-M-I-S-S-O-U-L-A.com. Yes, yes. Okay. I was so excited when I went to GoDaddy and bought that uh, bought that website. <laughs> that that wasn't that wasn't taken, huh? No, it was not. <laughs> um, you know, when How can when it you, be taken? What does it even mean? It means that our mayor has been in power for 16 years and should have known better. He should have looked at all those options um, because at some point, someone like me, a person that's lived in this town for 20 years, that spent seven years working at the homeless shelter that actually was sort of like the PR protection of this cabal. Um, eventually someone like me may just get tired. Um, and I have some financial resources that I was able to deploy. I was able to, you know, do some work that I wasn't getting immediate paychecks for. Um, a lot of what I did in this project was <clears throat> solve problems by throwing money at things. So when a crappy computer can handle the, the software, I was like, okay, let's see, let's buy a new computer, you know? Um, <laughs> oh, wow. So That's rare. It is rare, but it's, in order to break the narrative control, I mean, Missoula is a right. liberal community. Um, we have a right next door to me in the Zootown Arts Community Center. So I, I have an art studio downtown 
right next door to me is the Big Sky Documentary Film Festival. And and my documentary, I didn't submit it, but um, it's not <laughs> going to be shown in any kind of uh, official venue like that because. So, yeah. No, no, no. Ask a question. What is it exactly? Talk. What is it specifically about? So it's about. Uh, this this policy that exists in many communities, um, tax increment financing, like I mentioned earlier, um, is a way to ostensibly address blight. Um, I don't think it has to be blight, but the way that different states set up the policy in Montana, um, the way the state defined blight really kind of drives how local municipalities can create urban renewal districts and then drive public financing. What is blight? Blight is when buildings are ugly and falling apart and uh, economic drag on the sort of immediate taxing jurisdiction. And what causes that? Well, so, for example, in Missoula, uh, downtown Missoula in the 80s was really drained by the flight into the the sort of mall. A lot of the commerce went to the, the mall. Um, a lot of the building of houses was out on the south side of our valley. And so the, the downtown economically was struggling. Buildings were uninhabited. They were falling apart. And so the idea is you can create these urban renewal districts and you can create you can incentivize development in the private sector um, by finding ways to use public money to do things like, let's say, bury utility lines or demolish an old building. Um, and so the private sector says, you know, we we would really like these subsidies to help mitigate the cost of of developing in these blighted areas. Um, okay, what, you know, I hate any kind of yes. uh, public policy. I'll just I'll just put a period on it there. <laughs> I hate this public doc- policy. This so. documentary will trigger you, Monica. Yeah, I mean, I I don't I don't think I'm necessarily right. I just I do think I'm right. Everybody thinks they're right, but. Uh, maybe there is a place for good government in the world. I would have to see an example first and an example that could last beyond like the first assassination. But uh, yeah, so I get it. I think it's a utopian fantasy, but I have in there's a town not far from me, which did have a whole they redid their main and it is so beautiful and it's full of cool stuff. You know, I don't care, but it is it is nice. Well, one of the ways that the narrative is controlled in in this sort of situation is that um, the elected leaders like to tell the public that they are too stupid to understand complex financial mechanisms. And so and and let me kind of really quickly get into the triggering event. Um, There was a 16 million dollar potential giveaway to a private developer from Wisconsin. His name is Nick Chakota. And he has a really large uh, influence now on the local music scene. So he has a bunch of different venues and he was going to get $16 million um, as part of this complex deal to develop uh, a portion of the riverfront. And so there'd be a performing arts art center, a condo sort of tower. Um, It'd be this giant development, one of the largest in in the state history using public financing. Um, And he would also get a 75 year exclusive lease to use the facility. And what happened is that our mayor changed the public comment period from a regular Monday night city council meeting to the previous Wednesday in the middle of the day. 
And one citizen caught this change. This citizen is not just any citizen. He's a, a, a retired lawyer from Oregon City. Um, he's from Missoula, but he lived in practice in Oregon City, and he fought TIFF in Oregon City. He caught this schedule change. He showed up and he made public comment. I wrote about it on my blog. And then when Monday came, when it was supposed to be discussed, a lot of people showed up to um, talk about how frustrated they were. And then that that presence was it was a persistent presence week after week after week. People did not go away. They kept on showing up. They used their three minutes to talk about what they didn't like about public policy and the reaction. So, oh, my so goodness. This guy was going to get 16 million dollars and the 75 year lease. And the people didn't like that deal. Correct. Right? Okay. Yeah. And uh, yeah. So, OK. Yeah, it's it was so when amazing. Was that? Um, October 16th, uh, 2019 is, is when that's the that's two days it. before event 201. So you, so it's totally coinciding with the whole rollout of COVID. Well, even crazier in February. So at the very conclusion of this and some of the images you'll see at the very beginning, um, we actually went in lockdown in February because there was allegedly shots fired at a police officer, uh, a window in a, in a police officer car broke out. And the officer thought he was being shot at. So there was a lockdown. We had snipers on the buildings, military looking uh, personnel going through downtown. How, how big is Missoula? About 80,000 in the city, 100,000 in the county. But and you what, have a SWAT team, I assume. Oh, of Who course. Of course we do. Team? But the curious part, yeah. one of the one of the local activists is actually a whistleblower. His name is Brandon Bryant. Um, and so he was uh, he's a well-known whistleblower um, and he's from Missoula. And what had happened as the tensions over the weeks grew and grew, um, you know, Brandon Bryant was someone that was very emphatic in his displeasure and at one point yelled at the mayor um, after giving a biblical parable. And that resulted in in some some pretty serious stuff. And he faced felony charges. He'd actually been arrested a few days before the lockdown. Um, and the, the county attorney's office prosecuted him on felony charges and he was acquitted July of last last year. So. Um, and I interviewed Brandon um, as part of a, this this project. I interviewed Jay Kevin Hunt, the citizen that kind of sparked things. Um, I interviewed uh, Jesse Ramos, our our local kind of a conservative city council member, um, and the guy who did a cameo in Yellowstone, which was very exciting, you know, to see him <laughs> in, in Yellowstone, this this show, and he's actually in our documentary. Um, but Jesse Ramos is the guy that really started this conversation in a lot of ways about public policy, tax increment financing, because he is a conservative wealth management guy in the private sector and sort of. Yeah. So what exactly is tax increment financing? Yes. So we have like a three minute breakdown that, that Jesse Ramos um, gives. But Jesse actually took some language that I had constructed around this idea because I call it a skim and give scheme. So what happens is when the urban renewal district is created, um, any improvement in this district, the increased tax value instead of going to the general fund, is skimmed off the top and it goes to the Missoula Redevelopment Agency. And so that is a, a uh, institution that is comprised of a board handpicked by the mayor and they get to direct uh, money towards projects um, to address blight. And, and so at this point, uh, I think it's about 14% of the overall budget is comprised of tax increment financing projects and it's become a shadow government. 
And that's where the contractors go to get subsidies for their developments. Yeah, it's really hard for them, I guess, to do sidewalks and landscaping, bury utility lines without the government just handing them money. Um, and and so really, as you know, Monica, these subsidies can just get baked into the formula for the private sector. Well, and so now they just expect these handouts. I remember looking into the Braves stadium deal, which was kind of done in the dead of night similarly. And I think in that case, I always look to the tax advantages of so it looks like a deal that may make sense on paper. But when you look at how they're just giving people windfall advantages with the taxes when they are when the when the the deals are profitable, like it's not a public service. There's no reason to do that. And I feel like that's where it's kind of backdoor payola stuff where you kind of expect the councilman who got it done to have his own suite. And then you see the flex from power, um, it, which sort of starts looking like a mafia Don kind of situation. And so an example, um, our mayor, so he's run against a lot of people in his 16 year tenure. Now he's got four more years. Um, but one of the people that um, actually had the temerity to, to run against him, her name is Lisa Tripke. And it, it was interesting because her life was really destroyed in a lot of ways because of well, what she decided to do, just run for office. Um, her divorce was used against her. Privileged uh, Medicaid information was used against her. You know what they do with the divorces. So huh. Obama did this in both of his races of state Senate and um, the proper the federal Senate. They what's alleged in a divorce proceeding in those closed things, the lawyers tell you to write like the nastiest stuff. Like there's no requirement to prove it. It's not like in the court of law. So those documents are notoriously exaggerated and they're supposed to be sealed. And with Obama, I think it was Axelrod who was behind it. And the, the, his first opponent, I believe both of his opponents were their divorce records were unsealed. And it says like you were, you know, a whatever, well, it's it's so awful. Um, I'll, I'll try not to get too distracted. Did uh, you say her medical records were used against her? So her, her Medicaid. Um, so what? So for example, when she got divorced, um, a lot of times you're just you know told to get on Medicaid because you're trying to get private insurance. And I've I actually had to get private insurance when I left my employer. Um, and if you don't go through like an agent, you automatically will get um, oftentimes pushed into the Medicaid system. And then you 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 get auto enrolled in in so, some circumstances, and then you can't get off Medicaid. Um, and I, I suspect because I know some of the the state legislators. Um, I know people that have access to DPHHS, so that's the Department of Health and Human Services. Um, and so if someone is getting on Medicaid, you, you shouldn't just have that access to that information. But the local media reported on the fact that um, Lisa was on Medicaid and then also had assets um, in, in another part of the state, uh, I believe, or maybe in a different state. But, you know, she had a, two houses and then she was on Medicaid. And so they depicted her as this taking advantage of the system. But I, I worked at Missoula Aging Services. It's an area agency on aging. Um, so I understand the Medicare and Medicaid systems actually pretty well. And I know how difficult it is to actually get off of the Medicaid once you've been auto enrolled. So um, her life was destroyed. But and I remember this as I'm trying to create a podcast and try to monetize my own content. And when I started my podcast, I reached out to a few places that I knew supported Lisa Tripke against our mayor. And one of them was Brett's RV. And I did it because Brett's RV had accepted tax increment financing at one point in, in their uh, development. 
And that was reported on against them. It was sort of like, oh, so Lisa doesn't like uh, tax increment financing and, and, you know, Brett's RV, you're backing Lisa, this conservative, but you've taken money. You've taken the public oh money. My gosh. And, and so it was really like if, if the if the local media is is in the corner of of a, of a mayor and I'll, I'll tell you some things about our local media, um, you know, then then it's kind of like you're just assassinated. And so Lisa and I talked to her, I wanted to interview her on my podcast, but she was so um, so upset from her, what she experienced that she was absolutely reluctant to to have be in politics anymore because they went after her in a nasty way our our caring inclusive liberal elites you know (laughs) so okay so so is this is your documentary about that specific case it's about the fact that if you oppose people in power and you're a human with flaws that all humans have be prepared for those flaws to be used against you by those people in power yeah, that's what I've always said about like Thomas Jefferson and Martin Luther King Jr. Like you can't if you want to get into their personal foibles, like you really throw the baby out with the bathwater. And yep. what's the point of that? We're talking about ideas and ideals and and also the practical truth of what kind of a society you can expect and what people actually do and and how you balance liberty with restraint. And I think it informs it. It's actually better. I, I've always objected to laws or rules uh, that you yourself couldn't live by. So if you right. impose on your kids something that you could not do at that age, if that was the thing that was making you lie, making you lie to your parents at that age, you have to think about that. The kids are going to do it. Maybe you want to just say it's wrong and let them lie to you, but just know they can't do it. So I'm, I'm not a, I, I'm a, a fan of being realistic about that stuff. And I certainly don't like holding people's foibles against them when it's kind of irrelevant. I mean, unless it goes to whether you can trust them. Like I I was actually annoyed that my mother would say that she didn't like Trump for the longest time. Like we were New Yorkers and she didn't like that. I don't like the way he brings the new one to the ski slope. And the other one is a skier. I mean, how did he not know? So she hated that about him. And now she's like, and, you know, but he just loves this country. He wants what's best for us. And I'm like, how do you know? Like he, his wife couldn't even trust him. Like, how do you, why would you? So it can be relevant if you're basing everything about uh, your relationship with that person. If it's all about trusting them, like Fauci or whatever, like people want to tell me about the moon landing or COVID, I'm like, how do you know? It's like, because somebody you trusted said it to you off a screen. If it's about trust, then yes, it matters. Uh, their behavior. But if it's about policies and you can actually think about things and identify the problem at the moment saying, well, because because another thing about taking money under those circumstances, if you're a business, I, I and maybe it was in the Braves thing or other thing. I used to look at that. You know, I would look into big public deals like that. And if a if a city is going to subsidize the construction, the contracts or whatever, you could not possibly. And and if the city is making rules about it, so so you're a vendor or you're a builder or whatever, are you supposed to walk away from your life's work because the city has regulations, the city determines where you can build or whatever? No, I mean, I, I don't think you should have to do that. But if, and this is a real problem for me, if the city is offering 
concessions. I don't mean like a concession stand. I mean, like if they're offering tax breaks or whatever, or subsidized bonds or whatever to, or even tax deductible municipal bonds. If, if you don't take them, if you're not planning to take them and you're in a competitive bidding process, you're never going to win that bid. So you've got to just decide whether where when you fall on your sword and when you don't because i always say libertarians die by the sword but they don't live by it i'm not encouraging people to go one way or the other but i just i have sympathy for the people who make the choice of like why should i not be a builder i'm a, I'm a great builder it's my it's calling mafia. in life the whole thing's yeah. a mafia just like travis said it's mob <laughs> tactics up and down well, it really is. And, and what, what a lot of these activists um, did, and, and I wasn't one of the people that was making public comments. So I was writing as a blogger at the time because I was still working in the nonprofit sector. Um, I didn't leave my job until January 3rd, uh, 2020. Well, I guess that's when I put in my notice to leave. And I, I left then in, in March um, of 2020. But um, I was writing about this and, and covering it. And one of the things, Monica, you mentioned is, is trust. Um, really, the, the trust in the, in, in the local institutions here in Missoula has really broken down pretty significantly. Um, and mental health is one of the things that is lurking around this topic uh, that, that we covered locally. Um, mental health is something you guys are covering so tremendously well. And it, it, it actually is a way that this narrative kind of dovetails into what I'm now experiencing with um, being a parent and going addressing school boards. You know, it's, it's like this. It, it's interesting. I had a chance to show the first hour of this documentary at a church on Monday. And as I was able to talk to the members of the church afterwards, you know, I said the condescension that you're going to see in the rest of this film from our local elected officials is the same thing I'm now experiencing from the school board members. And in this community, it's a lot of the same people. It's the same cabal of people, you know, um, and that can be something I, in, in the XR, I can talk about that in, in a little bit more detail because I've got some interesting details about school board stuff that I'd like to mention. But before that, um, there's a lot of different ways that this can kind of go potentially, but it, uh, is there other questions you guys have yeah. about TIFF, the, the fun, sexy? No, I want, I want to kind of get pull out of the weeds a little bit or out of the details yeah, yeah. of this. And I'm sure it's going to be super cool to watch the documentary and see it unfold. I know that you're a, uh, you have an artistic background and understand how to create something of value. I do have a question about that before we move on from it. Not now. Yeah. But, yeah, go ahead. yeah. And my, my filmmaker, um, just to be clear, my, the guy that, that put this together, the person that put this together, um, he's kind of behind a suit in him at this point still. But um, the editing, the, the magic of this film is his vision. Um, so talented, really involved in long form editing of radio. So he had some skills already going into this, but this is his first film. And so. God, he's so he's so amazing. I just want to make sure that I I champion oh, his skills. You can't shout him out because he's he's under the radar. That's okay. I know, I know. Go ahead, Binkley. What were you going to say? Well, at some point, if there's something you guys want to talk about first, uh, cool. But at some point, I would love to hear about how you got the film made. I know there's a lot of people that would love to do something like that. That want to they want to participate, they want to help, but they just don't know where to start. And I'm sure you have some great advice to offer to them. And I would love to yes. hear some of that. Actually, that would be um, really good to talk about right now because it's part of how you bust the narrative control. Um, and I'm a 
privileged white guy with a little bit of financial resources I was able to to use for this project. Um, and the way that kind of works is really when things come up like buying software or, or even just the, when we're uploading the, the giant audio or the giant video file to Vimeo, um, I was able to spend $600 for the, the storage content. Um, and so if you can't like spend five or $600 in kind of a, like, a, okay, you need to do this. Um, you're really disadvantaged. So much of this is money. And if we were wanting to make money on this film, um, we would have had to go through a process that would be so much more extensive. I mean, I had some conversations with some of the the local corporate um, media folks about what it takes to license footage, you know, and so we're, we're putting this out there with the intention of educating people and using fair use and, and all that copyright stuff. I hope I'm not a lawyer. I've talked to a bunch of lawyers before putting this out, but I'm just kind of like, ah. um, but I don't have $15,000 to license five minutes of footage. And that was the ballpark figure I got from someone, <clears throat> you know, like $15,000. We deployed maybe four or $5,000. So, so if it's not for profit or, or what, what is the difference between when you can use it for fair use and when you have to actually license it? Oh, if I was a lawyer, I would I would give you a detailed response to that. But I'm just an artist that that has a an LLC um, that 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 I hope my LLC will will help me sort of protect myself in case the the big guns come. Because when when you're trying to to get a project like this going, um, you know the releases of information that we had we we sent out. No one has signed those releases yet. So if I want to get a distribution deal, it would be made very difficult to try and you know get a docu series like this on Netflix. Um, and, and so. The, the joy of doing something like this is not knowing what you're doing and kind of making some of those mistakes, but really doing it because you love the the topic and you're trying to, to get something out that you really feel is important. And so, you know, we're in a small enough community that I'm able to network and find a, a, a video guy that had the skill set that we could hire on one off shoots so I could pay him, you know, in cash and he would, you know, do the, the video footage, um, did not want his official name to be associated with it because as he saw what we experienced with retaliation, he wants to have a job in this town. Um, and so it was really difficult to, to get some people just to sit down for the interview. Um, but we were able to overcome a lot of barriers. Um, I, I have a strong faith that this project is getting help from all kinds of you know forces. Um, but uh, it it really took a lot of challenge, overcoming challenges, and a lot of times it's just kind of like money, you know, buying a new computer, getting the software that's needed, um, dealing with some of the the stress and frustration. I mean, the the guy that made the film is still dealing with housing insecurity, and when we showed this film at the church on Monday. They passed around a hat. I was able to give a wad of cash to this guy to pay for rent because we were actually um, we had a, a room set up for, for him to edit. And so he would be um, able to just have a dedicated space um, to spend the hours and hours and hours and hours of taking 55 hours of public comments and reducing it to find all of the gems. I mean, I, I don't think this project could have been made without the individuals that just had the, the necessary knowledge of the topic matter. And then someone like me that's just super excited and can throw money as I'm cheerleading and trying to, to get people to just, but not that much. Collaborate. It's not like you had um, really deep pockets. I mean, if you couldn't, if you couldn't throw $15,000 at it, you're still on a shoestring, right? right. I mean, it's DIY. So, yeah. So what's, what, what is an example of retaliation? Um, that's a that great experience. question. So one of the, the things that I have come to understand is that there is a political person that is, trying to depict me as actually having a mental health diagnosis. 
um, and has talked to a news reporter and told the news reporter to look into my mental health status. I confirmed this with a friend who was also told that same information. But if I want them to sign an affidavit so that I could actually sue her for defamation, um, it would bring them into the the right. limelight in ways that they, they don't want to. And so they yeah. use these behind the scenes ways of intimidating you. Um, we also have private security now. Um, as this very interesting aspect of the, the homeless industrial complex that is developed in Missoula. And I can't necessarily tie it directly to our work, um, but um, there is going to be a story, I think, at some point from Legacy Media about the contract that the city of Missoula has signed with a private security firm to do security for the homeless sites. And we have like five or six now. Um, and, and private security is now they are patrolling a neighborhood like they are police. And we have documented and caught them doing it. It's crazy. That's so upsetting to me on a couple of different levels. Yeah. The idea of a homeless industrial complex. I, I totally see that coming down. It's I think it's why those. I think the stories of the Philadelphia and New York fires were exaggerated or not honest. Like there's something wrong there. I think what happened in Austin, Texas, where they brought the bad policies to promote homelessness for the next step, which I think are the tiny homes. Now there are tiny homes in LA. And then the other thing about the private security, I've always been looking at it as a third worlding where rich people can't have private security, private education, private healthcare, but other people can't. But then when you're saying they're, they're then outsourcing for a public area to the private, they're doing that with charter schools. They're doing that. I, I don't, I haven't heard about it in healthcare. Really. It's almost the opposite in healthcare where they'll send the national guard in, but you, people would think that, as a libertarian, I'm all for public-private partnerships. Absolutely not. No, right. no, 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 no. It, my contention is you don't need the government for anything. The absolute opposite of that is to say that the government should take your money at the point of a gun, force you to consume something that it can't even provide. That, no. So I'm staunchly opposed to that. I'm fine getting my own stuff, but yeah. let's dismantle the government. So, the, I mean, the public-private partnerships, yeah. And it's a moral hazard to to profit from pathology, There's you know, so much mental wrong. illness or homelessness. It's just really should not have financial incentives at all yeah. to promote those problems. And you can see how that works. The the, the public private partnerships. Um, one of the one of the ways that local communities like Missoula, I really encourage people in similar size communities to start looking into what's going on because the smaller scale um, is is you. I think easier access to, to some of the stuff that's, that's going on. Um, so one example in Missoula United way as a, as a nonprofit. So United way of Missoula County, um, they're playing this interesting role in allowing the County commissioners to sort of steer conversations away from public scrutiny um, about some of the money from the, the COVID relief funds that are going to some of the homeless services. Um, Cause I know private security is getting to some degree, they're getting FEMA money um, at least early on they were. And, and, it's hard to get some of these conversations actually out there to the public to figure out what's going on because um, they'll move them into these chats, email chats that are away from public scrutiny and disclosure laws. And Montana doesn't have much teeth when it comes to public disclosure. Um, it's really hard to actually force municipalities um, to expose, to disclose information that they should be you know, handing over really. Um, and so the way that the, the private security is kind of folding into some of this stuff um, is really, really interesting because I think when it comes to the threat 
assessments that are being being done. Um, I, as a parent and a citizen journalist, I am definitely on the radar of our local power establishment. And when it comes to to the United Way and a state representative that used to work at the Pavarello Center and kind of use the homeless shelter to launch her career, you know, they have ties to the State Department, um, to South Africa. Um, you know, the state rep that I'm referring to was actually in South Africa when the pandemic started and had to be sort of rescued. Um, and when, when United Way got a quarter million in, in project safe neighborhood money from the federal government, the person that was, um, placed to be the consulting head has ties to this university in South Africa, in little Missoula, Montana. We've got these players that are taking their state department trips, you know, to go teach, teach, uh, African girls, uh, stem cell or not stem so I'm sorry, but like STEM education stuff. Uh, it's just, it's so corrupt in this town and, and it's indicative of the corruption that's really everywhere. Is that a big vacation destination? Is Big Sky nearby? Yeah, I mean, really, as Missoula and, and some of these places moved away from resource extraction money, you know, we've really moved into the tourist area. And so, you know, Missoula's got Glacier to the north and Yellowstone um, to the to the east. And, you know, we have a lot of amenities. It's a big sky is a, a, a beautiful state, beautiful town. So we have a lot of tourism now. Yeah, I've, I went there when I was in high school for vacation with my family once and that would make sense that they would have people like that there if it is a big tourist attraction because there would be that influence there because you you know there's a bunch of people coming to spend money there then you want to influence them well and i um i'm glad that monica mentioned on the very beginning that that the microcosm term because missoula is such a fascinating microcosm when it comes to bigger names because to the south we have the the um the lab that Fauci's mentor, Maurice Hilleman, was uh, was working at. So the biosecurity level four lab, the Rocky Rocky Mountain lab um, to the north. We have Linda Pritzker. I can't remember what her her Buddha name is, but the Pritzker family is currently kind of running Illinois. Right. Um, and so Linda Pritzker is to the north. She has the Buddha garden up there and a nice, huge property. And uh, from what I understand, a helicopter landing pad. So when the Dalai Lama come, comes and visits finally one day, you know, it'll be a place for him to hang out. Um, and then we've got, you know, Seth Bodner is our University of Montana president, and uh, his wife is pals with Jim Messina. Um, Jim Messina helped this guy Obama get reelected, and then he went across the pond and helped Brexit kind of get get going. Um, so Jim Messina is tied to the University of Montana, and Seth Bodner's a you know West Point guy, and you know it just kind of goes on and on and on. And the, I'll stop rambling in a second. Um, one of the things that I uncovered about the Missoulian, so the Missoulian, our local newspapers owned by Lee Enterprises, and, you know, it's just getting for the newspaper industry overall, it's just getting worse and worse and worse. But one of the things that I discovered is that our mayor, John Engen, his, his first uh, campaign manager was John Talbot. And uh, John Talbot retired from the CIA in 1957, and he married into the Lee Enterprises family, uh, was the publisher of the Missoulian for a long time. And his son, Pete Talbot, total son of a bitch, in my personal opinion. I used to blog at 420 Blackbirds with Pete Talbot, um, and now Pete Talbot doesn't like me because I'm no longer a progressive. Um, but... Um, you know, Pete Talbot's dad was part of this this sort of narrative control early on. And then when you look at the mayor's communication director, Ginny Miriam, 
her grandpa was H.G. Miriam. And H.G. Miriam, as I'm doing some of this research into the history of, of Missoula in the, in the region, H.G. Miriam was one of the first Rhodes scholars. And so when you talk about Cecil Rhodes um, and this sort of intellectual elitism. What um, year? Do you think um, roughly what decade? So early 20th century. I, I just got this uh, book from 1911 that H.G. Miriam was doing this this library report, and he had been traveling around the Northwest, basically saying these local libraries just like their local writers. Um, and if if we want to get them to accept the standard wow. of the literary canon that we're developing, um, you know, because I, I went to the University of Montana for creative writing, and and I, I'm very interested in in monetizing this, but then I realized, oh, they've been like. They've been constructing the narrative control mechanisms since the beginning. I always thought that Oprah donating like her choice books to all. I think didn't she donate them to all the libraries? Yeah, I think so. I thought she used to do that. And I remember thinking, oh, she's putting what she wants in the libraries. Not that they wouldn't have these books anyway, but it would be much more accessible. And then that's when I started to think. That Obama, like he just made millions and millions every year from the same damn book or a couple of books. And I just thought, I wonder if they just buy them for libraries all around the world. Like that's how Warren Buffett gives Obama money is just by buying millions of copies of his books. But I'm not sure you can or sustain her it. Her book just club, too. He could, she could just plug them into her book club recommendations and everybody who follows her will buy them. Yeah, they buy them. That's true. But I also feel like that I was just picking up on the idea that there's deliberately targeting libraries and it's not and it would be what better way to make sure that every small town has these books that that the librarian there would not choose yeah and it could also just be the literary form of a hunter biden painting you know just like money laundering um but but (laughs) the narrative control aspect i i love the idea now of of what narrative control means and what it might take with with new platforms and you know new long form podcasting and crypto platforms and that kind of stuff um it's it's going to be interesting to see how that happens because hold on um, what long form yeah. platforms and crypto like, with a narrative I, what i'm just kind of garbling language uh, monica uh, yeah just tell me what you're saying so with with long form f- you know, podcasting being a long form way of telling stories. Right. Um, and then crypto platforms offering a bit of independence away from legacy media constraints. Um, I think there is a lot of opportunity to how storytelling emerges and develops, but um, it's okay. Tough. Let's, let's think about that for a second. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just keep going. Make well, me understand that better. What's your vision or hope or observation? Well, and I won't get into names on this on this topic. No, but, don't um, do names. I don't want people to get mad at us anyway. The, the I want physical media. So one of the conversations we're having here locally is how do we replace something like the Missoula Independent? So our our weekly all. all or Alt Weekly um, got shuttered in 2018 by Lee Enterprises. So they bought it out and then closed it down and Aww. digital archives are gone. And so I really yeah, they salted the earth, those fuckers. So um, pardon my wow. language. I'm sorry. I get worked up on. Is this, there a, do you think there's a physical archive in the library? There, there is, and I think there's been some work to get uh, some digital copies. But, but you have a lot, <laughs> you have a lot of local reporters that can't even reference their own work as they're trying to get jobs. You know, I mean, it, it was a big deal, and it pissed off a lot of people locally. 
Um, and so I would love some kind of physical media that could help highlight some of the common ground that's emerging between um, some Christian church congregations and some of the people in the medical freedom movement. Um, but at the same time, I don't want to, to just disarm myself from crypto platforms. I mean, I submitted a while ago um, to, to Rockfin. And at some point, I'd like to even maybe talk to Sam Tripoli now that I was on his, his you know little tinfoil hat podcast um, about how to potentially take I like humor and satire. I'd like to get into some of the the funny aspects of what uh, we can do to make fun of some of this absurdity. But um, how do you make money going forward? You know, I need to know that because I don't want to have a boss again. Um, it's a total drag having these bosses that want to limit your free speech. And and so how do I that's a question I've been asking myself. How do I move into monetizing content when I can't advertise necessarily locally because people are scared of the local cabal you know, the, the tax increment financing Nazis. And, and so what well, do figure you out what do? people yeah. need people f- figure out what's missing. Exactly. And, the, and physical media, I think is a huge opportunity locally um, for some kind of niche investor. If there's anyone out there that wants to invest in local media, but um, there, there's but things like been... newspaper. Is that what you're saying? You said physical media, you like a, print, right? Like a four page or eight page, very small scale down, something that's actually feasible for a small amount of money um, that could be done monthly. And here's a cool idea. You use those um, stupid little libraries that the liberal elite like to put in their front yards and that this woman wrote an op-ed about. That was the funniest thing about. The oh, yeah, they should racist. be illegal. I've read a lot of like negative things. Oh, it's those are racist. She, she talked about it being racist. She was in Brooklyn and she said all the all the whiteys in, in Brooklyn that have their little personal libraries. is just racist or something. I can't remember the Specific. Okay, they're giving books away. Yes, it's bad. <laughs> you, you, know, you know what you could do is the, the meetups. I think you're going to talk about that at some point. Yeah. When you have a meetup in your part of the town, you talk to everybody who's there and you gauge interest in, you know, like a little resistance newsletter, whatever you want to call it. So it, it gives that feel, okay, well, you're going to get this information. We can't put it out there publicly because we're going to get blasted. So how can we uh, get this to you if there is the interest there? And, and you might yep. find that there is. Let's talk about the meetups uh, because yeah, first, that- let me finish the, let, I want to finish the local media thing. One is in the day, that's how conspiracy researchers shared their information. And I buy right. books. And so I buy Jim Keith books who died. He died before 9-11. So it's, it was all his books. They were magazines. They were their first like online zines yep. and all of that. So it's definitely, and for me, I feel like there's way less censorship in print media right now. And I, that's why I buy the, I buy the books. I'm going to keep them. It would be ideal in a situation like that to resurrect something that had the Trident traditional name from your town. That's a, see, they bought that because there's a lot of power Mm -hmm. in that, in that heritage. That's a shame. Okay. So meetup. So we're, this will not be out until after your meetup in Missoula. Although I have shouted the shit out of it. And I heard it. I I was, I was getting pizza when I, when I heard Binkley say that I had good energy and I was so, I was smiling so big. I was like, Oh my goodness. I'm going to be talking to him in two days. Yeah. Great energy, man. I love it. Well, Well, I hope, I hope that I, I have to assume that everybody in within the sound of my voice or who knows somebody who heard that will come to your meetup. But what's your expectation in Missoula? I mean, it can be, it can be 
uh, light turnout, even in the biggest of cities. Yeah, so I've done two uh, higher side chat meetups and I've met two people as the result of those two meetups. And Great. it was it was amazing already. Well I, I interviewed uh, one of the guys. So he's a younger guy. Uh, I called him Noah on the podcast I did. My, my podcast is, is called Zoom Cron. Um, the nice. Chronicles. Z-O-O-M-C-H-R-O-N. Yes, correct. It's the kind of short for Chronicles of Zoomtown. And so um, it's good. I, it's good. Is it dot yeah. com? Is that your is there a URL I, for it? I not? think so. It's on Transistor. How do you get to it? Um, through, the, through the magical internets. <laughs> but you don't you. How do I how can I listen to it? Does it come up on iTunes? Um, it, I you know, that's a good question. I'm so not technological. I'm used to your old website whose name I will not say because I don't want to get people to go to the wrong place. Right. It doesn't exist anymore. Well, so it's the Zoom Cron blog. I renamed my my WordPress blog um, before they I'm sure they'll eventually kick me off at some point. But um, it's called zoomcron.com now. And so I, I do post my podcast Got weekly it. to the blog. Great. Um, that's uh, all I want to know. That's where people can start. Yeah. That's fine. You just need somebody to be able to walk away from this remembering how to find you. Then they can figure it out on the platforms or whatever. But the the idea of meeting people in in real and meet space, I I love it. That's why I left my job in the nonprofit world is to to actually be an artist and citizen journalist in in this town and go out and go in person to these places and have performances. And the pandemic kind of screwed that up a bit. But um, but I've done two meetups and it's been amazing. The two people I've met, Um, I met a mom who is a nurse and is basically the, the podcast helped wake her up. Um, I haven't interviewed her yet. I, I can't wait to to do that. But because um, she's got kids that are similar to my kids' age, and we've actually met. Uh, we had a pot, not a podcast. We had a potluck, and and she came okay. to a potluck at our house. Um, and so already, I've seen the benefit of meeting people in in the town that that you live. And the place that we're meeting on tomorrow is a place where the the co-owner is also very involved in some of the local stuff happening um he has a vaccine injured child and i didn't know that until recently and i didn't understand how much energy it takes to just you know to take take care of a child and um and as the as this one small group of sort of medical freedom people they're trying to get together with some of these church groups and it's interesting because i'm in the middle and i i can see myself as a code switcher you know i i love talking to any kind of groups um and and there is this interesting like common ground that's forming, but the some of the conspiracy medical freedom people don't necessarily like the Jesus language that's used by the churchy people. Um, and I've even seen that like when Jason Burmis was uh, on Rockfin um, running the reawakening tour, you know, and some of the, the language can be off putting to, to some people. But if we want to really preserve our, our just basic rights and liberties, you know, you've got to look for some strange bedfellow alliances um, and meeting. And we could try person. to tolerate each other on both yeah. Directions. I mean, you know, I, I struggle with the whole question of faith and I'm a practicing Catholic and like both sides will make it's just like being a libertarian. People make fun of me for both sides. Like, what do you mean you struggle? Or what do you mean you're Catholic? I'm like, I don't know. I'm just trying to I, personally, I just need some hope. And yeah. I'll I I don't break Mother Earth. I break Father God. But whatever. I mean, I certainly whatever. If you've got the answer, it's like Tolstoy would say, I, I just, I think so hard about, is there a God? I just look around and think it's just so, it's, it's, 
so ridiculous to think that there's a God. Like, it's so just ridiculous to think that there's a God who knows my name. And then he looks around and it's just like, it's so obvious there's a God. Like, look at the trees, look at the flowers. So obvious it's a God. And he went back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And when he finally landed on God, he stopped writing literature and it devastated the literary community. And then he wrote like spiritual stuff. I do love War and Peace because it really does bring that spiritual stuff out in the end. But I just love his example because I don't know. But the fact is, if Tolstoy was back and forth and we haven't made any progress on knowing the truth since the Greeks, trust me, I've like gone back. And I'm like, I think we were saying the same shit they were saying. So I'm not wasting my time trying to figure it out. I'm going to do a little soul searching. But there is absolutely no, I, I mean... I'm at the end of the line with stuff you could actually like prove or know. So it's the high time to tolerate and enjoy the strange bedfellows. Well, and, and what we may have lost in the literary world, if someone stops writing because of finding God, um, I, I think we could benefit from David Lynch, maybe going to counseling and, and uh, changing his perspective. <laughs> I, I have, I have a book when you were saying that it made me think about David Lynch in this little uh, meant, he, he mentioned the idea of going to counseling and he asked if it would his counselor if it if it would mess with his creativity and the guy said well it might and he's like well then i'm not gonna go and i i i'm david lynch was actually born in missoula and and so he's he's in this region as as a sort of cultural influencer and i don't like his no way i was thinking i meant to say this when i came on i was thinking that the way you talk about missoula it makes me think of twin peaks so that's crazy Yes. See, the, the synchronicity, synchronicity. And, and this is where, um, you know, the, the guy that I, I met the during the first meetup, um, he is very interested in synchronicities. Um, and for him, after we met, the synchronicities were accelerating. I've talked to Adam from Deborah Gets Red Pilled uh, about synchronicities. Um, really, all of this stuff is developing because of, for me, it's because of synchronicities. I mean, I talked to Michael Wan, who connected me to, to Mark Steves that got me on to Sam Tripoli. Um, and I wouldn't have all of this energy to do this if I hadn't stopped um, hitting the Boda Box wine. Um, and I did that because of Legos and synchronicities, you know, um, and then really it's because there is some higher power that is truly moving in, in this world right now in a way that that I haven't experienced in a long time because I was deadening myself with with wine. Um, but I am just amazed in terms of what I go out every day and see as I get out there in the world. Uh, it gives me the white pill to, to keep going forward in, in a way that, you know, is encouraging. I love it. And I think with regard to David Lynch's comment that seriously, like if, if he has a creative event, he has an insight into whatever weirdness got him where he was going and growth and introspection, surely a true artist can use that to level up. You know, just being cryptic and weird maybe isn't the, his highest and best use. So I would, yeah. I would encourage him to have courage. Well, so when I was talking to a, to a counselor yesterday, uh, I was in a counseling session with my wife, you know, um, I encourage people in, in long-term relationships to absolutely seek out uh, a third person when after 20 years, you're having difficulty communicating and the same argument is just looping over in your life. Yes. Communication. Yes, 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 yes. But um, we were talking about, you know, my not drinking alcohol. And I love like how Sam Tripley shares, you know, his struggles yeah. with substance abuse and all that stuff. Um, and one of the reasons that, that I, I think rationalize my my use of wine is just you know i'm a poet i'm an artist i need to be suffering you know i grew up in <laughs> suburbia i didn't suffer enough i worked at a homeless shelter <laughs> oh to get some, some vicarious suffering and Man, so you got it bad 
Don't do I know. that. Yeah, Take no, the win. Take the win because the suffering will get you. In the end, well, you will find it. It's it's this idea that I was sold early on um, as I was growing up in suburbia and saying no to the suburban Presbyterian church that was completely empty of any kind of spiritual validity for me. I didn't I didn't feel like there was any spirit there. And when I realized that rebellion is sort of baked into this this formula, you know, I'm I'm listening to Jim Morrison, who I now write about in, in a fictional sense. But, Dude, you know, I was an uber fan. He is a psycho, I think, in a lot of ways. Um, and but his, his... don't you think he's a he's a a plant? Oh yeah, yeah. Like the... uh, like Mick Jagger. He just died too, you know. Again, after his radio show. Right. Jim Morrison is not dead in my fictional story. He's alive right. as an implant in my my. Finkley thinks he's head. Rush Limbaugh. <laughs> oh, no, I don't think that. That's a theory. That some <laughs> I'm just have, kidding. But... Yeah, I've seen it. It's a meme and everything. It's totally. <gasps> Oh, well, you know, it's just, um, now, <laughs> I was going to make a point. I think I may have lost my point. But, sorry, you were sorry, talking yeah. about Jim Morrison. You said he's though. in your head, in your story. Oh, now I'm going to start sounding crazy. This is going to definitely get me the, the three-day involuntary hold <laughs> in, in, the, in the county detention facility. What is that? Is it a Van Halen album, 5150? Right, right. Well, the, the, the you know the fictional story. Um, I don't want to get into that because that's going to be a whole nother sort of you know, definitely avenue, don't but... get into that. We do not have time for that because we have got still more to cover. And so, the school board tease. That well, be... we're going to do that in the XR, right? Exactly. Exactly. So what? But yeah, no. I f- can you get that thought back about you were talking about therapy and then Jim Morrison, communication, well, wine, suffering artist. You were set up. It was baked in the cliche, the cliche of suffering for for an artist that wants to use substance abuse as a as a rationale for um, creating art. Um, you know, I, a lot of the artists that I appreciated when I look back, um, did they actually lead successful lives or in, in terms of the people around them? You know, and their they have- music got better. Like the guys who quit, they got better. You know what I mean? Eric Clapton still got it. He's in his seventies. Well, absolutely, and that's what I realized when I finally left that that substance behind. You know, I, I look at the past year and what I've done. I started a podcast that I've been doing for a week, um, or a weekly podcast <laughs> for a year. I like, I've been doing it for a week. <laughs> yeah, a little bit more than that. Um, I write about five to six uh, blog posts a week. Um, I made a documentary. I have an entire manuscript of poetry that I've put together. Um, I've actually been able to put out quite a lot of, of content in the past year. And I, I have the energy to do that because I'm not waking up feeling all bleary eyed and, you know, burned out. Um, but mornings are so much better. I bet. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And I'm exercising, too. I've got this exercise routine I've developed with the first four songs of Modest Mouse, uh, the, the Golden <laughs> Casket album. Yeah. I need to I need to record it because if you want to laugh watching someone exercise, I, I... <laughs> you know, my son who has Down syndrome has a total weight problem. And the only thing that he will do for exercise is we'll watch videos of people dancing. We do like the New Orleans, like the guys who walk down the street, anything that has like a high energy a dance thing it doesn't have to mean to be exercised but we'll just get him to boogie down with whatever so send it definitely you could de- now you want to know how to make money yeah humorous musical but then i don't know how you how you pay for the music well i had the angry the angry white guy workout um i did just it was a one-off thing i was wanting to blow off some steam and and i had this great angry white guy song i was listening to and um I but recorded you can't it. put the songs on youtube 
no, you can't. And it, it, so um, I need to find some talented musical people in, in this town. Luckily, JJ Boogie, some. he's got the name for it and everything. He's not in your town, but he's our friend. He's the bassist, I think, for Arrested Development, but he's uh, or, and, or the guitarist, nice. the guitarist. And he's but he's also a drummer. And I mean, he can just do it all. He's like that kind of guy. And we know him from Atlanta and oh, awesome. uh, he does all our music, but he can do anything. So yeah, it's, been, can, it's been so disorienting to see some of these um we were talking a little bit about musicians and and people like jim morrison being a plant um it you know i've had to deal with even realizing that pearl jam in some ways um is very disappointing you know eddie vetter is associated himself with that uh, uh damian eccles are you familiar with oh, the no, Memphis I, I know eddie vetter but i don't know damian eccles um, so Damien Eccles was the guy that was arrested, I think, back in the 90s for killing three kids, uh, him and two other teens in was it Memphis. And uh, you never heard about this story? Oh, this is yeah. fascinating because uh, basically Hollywood uh, rallied around uh, these teens to get uh, Damien Eccles out of out of prison. And so Johnny Depp and Peter Jackson and and all of these famous. Oh, yeah, people, I do remember that. Yeah. Um, and Damien Eccles is very much a believer in sort of Aleister Crowley and Aleister Crowley and the occult is something I've been fascinated by for a long time. And so I've been researching some of these aspects. That's why someone like David at, Lynch pops up and uh, I mean, Jack, Jack Parsons and JPL and everything. Yeah, that's not far from here. But you do you like Dave Mustaine, Megadeth? I'm not too familiar with, oh. uh, I mean, I, I know him, but I, I wasn't into Megadeth. Yeah, no, no, he's the opposite of what you're saying. Like he gets in trouble for speaking truth to power. Well, isn't he safe? Doesn't he, he's a Christian now, Oh, right? maybe, 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 maybe. I don't know. I don't well, know, it, but I just figured he would be somebody you would like if you're, if you've got Eddie Vedder on your radar, maybe you can. There's a uh, lot of people. Put Dave Mustaine on your ra radar for a little white pill. Yeah, there's a there's maybe a I'm wrong. Maybe he's maybe he's uh, off the wall and you know too far. Maybe he's too far out. But I don't I don't know. He, well, spoke, it's, he speaks truth to power. I like that. It's such a small world. We uh, one of our city council members that's in our documentary um, actually is a former uh, like I call him Brian von Rocket Scientist because he worked at JPL, the Jet Propulsion <laughs> Laboratory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm and uh, and so it's pretty funny that you know Jack Parsons, you know back in the day with L. Ron Hubbard. Um, and Marjorie Alistair Cameron, Crawley, yeah, they were doing their Babylon uh, magic back in the day. And that's actually the, the name of my manuscript is Babylon by Gaslight, because I'm very interested in in what I think spiritually was being done back then with drugs, um, drugs and alcohol. You know, right now we have meth as a huge problem. And I don't know if you wanted to maybe get into the, the targeted individual topic a little bit. Um, I am interested. We let's let's break here and then yeah. hit another maybe 20 minutes for an XR. Yes. And that way we, people uh, can get to know your stuff. So why don't you just give a little wrap of where you want to direct people for more of your stuff. And then if they want to hear the XR, they just can subscribe to any of our channels, the propaganda report on yeah. locals, Rockfin or Patreon. Do you have a subscriber? No, I'm going to I'm going to okay. get one, though. Yeah. Right. So um, my name is Travis Matier. I'm a citizen journalist and artist in Missoula, Montana. And EnginsMissoula.com is where you can go to see the documentary Engins Missoula. Um, you can also check me out at Zoom Cron. It's a WordPress blog that I write almost daily at this point. 
Um, and then you can reach me at willskink at yahoo.com. William Skink is my pseudonym, and so it gets a little confusing sometimes. Um, it's also my LLC, but uh, people can email me at willskink at yahoo.com. I love talking to people, so I'd encourage people to reach out to me. Excellent. All right. So... Binkley, does that sound good to you? Say yeah, I think it sounds good. Then... You can find us at thepropreport.com and as Monica said, rockfin.com slash propaganda report, patreon.com slash propaganda report, propreport.locals.com. Yeah, and uh, podcasting platforms. So thank you, Travis. That was wonderful. Like I said, I love your energy. You always, you're always doing something. And I think that that's, uh, I think that's good. I think it's inspiring. And keep up the great work, man. Oh, thank you. We'll talk to y'all next time or in the XR. The interview extended release, the Travis Mateer interview XR.